What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Making the Turn, the premier green industry podcast that highlights professionals across many areas, including golf course management, sports turf, sales, business, education, landscaping, and more. Making the Turn is hosted by me, BJ Parker. I've spent nearly 25 years in the green industry, mostly as a golf course superintendent, and now I want to bring the knowledge and insight from myself and the many people I've met and continue to meet along the way. Making the Turn will provide valuable content for those looking to learn from others, gain useful tips and tricks, and be better in their daily lives. You can find Making the Turn on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please be sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe. It helps keep the podcast growing and getting better. Thanks for listening, and welcome to another episode of the Making the Turn podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Making the Turn podcast, and I am your host, BJ Parker, and I do appreciate you joining me. And uh, I would encourage you to, I hope you've been able to catch up on the podcast, uh, listen to the episodes that are available on pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts. And if this is your first time uh, listening, uh, welcome. I appreciate you joining us. And, and again, if this is your first time, I have a super treat for you today. I have a guy that's been in the industry for a long time. Many, many people know he's influenced many people across our industry, but he is the former superintendent of Atlanta Athletic Club, Mr. Ken Mangum. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Well, I appreciate you doing this for me oh, and uh, sitting pleasure. down. It's, uh, it's an honor. I think, uh, I think where I'd like to start is just, uh, you know, I haven't gotten a chance. to. We've, we've sort of got, before we started recording, to talk about each other and, and get to know each other. And we've uh, crossed paths a few times. But I'd love to hear about sort of your career, how you got started. Uh, what are some of the things that, uh, how you got to where you got to be at Atlanta Athletic Club and kind of what you're doing now. So. And I know that probably takes a little bit of time, and you've, you've been in it a long time, so um, we'll, just, we'll just ride with it. Okay, yeah. Just you, you throw some questions, and I'll well, – So where did you get started? How did you get started in the business, and uh, what sort of got you moving in, uh, to be a golf course superintendent? Well, I was, I was very fortunate to grow up on a farm in, between Anniston and Gaston, Alabama. My dad worked as a management engineering analyst with the Anniston Army Depot. And he decided to build a new house. And we looked around for a couple of years, and he bought a lot in Indian Oaks Country Club, right across the street from the clubhouse. Uh So we build the house and move in, and I go right to work on the golf course because I've always worked on the farm. I I was driving a tractor at seven years old with my grandfather and stuff like that. So I I knew how to do a lot of things. Like a lot of guys who who got into our business, they came from the farm, and they they could – fix about anything right. you knew how to drive a straight shift all those kind of things right. so i went right to work on the golf course uh my first job was helping side a green that had been killed by the winter oh no <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh I, I guess i caught their eye that that, that I, yep. I knew what i was doing and knew how to work so uh i did that i love chemistry in in high school right and studied chemistry and I started playing golf there. The golf pro kind of took me under his wing, and so I started playing. I won the junior championship three years in a row after mowing greens, (laughs) that sort of thing. So so I worked through college, uh, found out that uh, college chemistry was not quite as much fun as high school chemistry. Yeah, yeah. And I 
I came home from work one day, and my mother's standing at the door crying, holding a letter. And I remember this was 1972. Uh-huh. So that was my draft uh, oh, notice to right. go get a physical. I got you. So that kind of changed things. Uh, I went and took the physical and one A fully qualified, no deferments for college, no nothing. So I assumed I was going to get drafted. So right. I decided to kind of get away for a little while. I went down to Jacksonville, Florida and went to work. I lived with my uncle and aunt and went to work at Beauclair Country Club for Jimmy Ellison, who went on to work for Arnold Palmer for 25 years. Uh-huh and was, had just graduated from Lake City. During that time, I went to University of Florida and, and interviewed with Dr. Granny Horn because uh-huh. I'd heard you could go get a degree in this business right. after talking to Jimmy. And uh, Dr. Horn said, yeah, just go to Lake City. You've already got two years of college. So I went on to Lake City, and what a great place that was. Right. Dr. Gene Nutter was head of the school uh, at the time. Jerry Cheeseman was there. So having worked on the golf course, you knew how to do things, right. but you didn't know why. And, uh-huh. and the, so the school gave me the why, and uh-huh. that really uh, was a great time. I, I made Dean's List and did well because sure. it, was, it came so easy to me. Right. And then in, uh, back then, your OJTs were selected for you. You uh-huh. didn't have a choice. Right. Well, uh, you know, God works in mysterious ways, <laughs> and uh, I, I'm, I'm thankful to this day that uh, Dr. Nutter sent me to work for Palmer Maples, Jr. Uh-huh, yes, I've heard that name many times. He was, uh, in 74, he was vice president of the GCSAA, and he was a tremendous influence because mm-hmm. uh, I, I tried to be, I've always tried to be very observant. Right. And I watched him. One day he would be out working with us on the golf course. I remember one day uh, he's on the front of the side cutter holding it down, and I'm on the back running it to we're resodding some tees. Sure. Next day he's out playing golf with a member. The next day he's in a coat and tie going to a business meeting. The next day he's flying to Lawrence to work with the association. Right. So, and then I'd see him out with his family. So I learned a lot from him about how to be a professional, mm-hmm. how to be a man, how to how to handle your business, right. your job, and take care of your family all in the same time. And we're still great friends. Uh, he's my kind of my golf course father, I call it. Sure, sure. What, so you would consider him kind of the, 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 the guy that got you on the path? I mean, your, like, first mentor you came across? Yeah. Uh, he and Dr. Nutter. From, yeah. Because uh, I, I came out of school, Dr. Nutter was very uh, – insistent on us making goals uh-huh. and some of the goals I set at that time were uh, I wanted to be uh, at a golf course that had a major championship okay. one that was on TV and I wanted to be involved in the association uh-huh. at a high level because you know I saw I saw that work uh-huh. for Palmer sure and yeah he, he was just a, a great influence right so you finish up at Lake City um, where did where do you end up after that well, I, I was offered a job at the little club I grew up in before I ever went to school. But, okay. I, but I was smart enough to know I didn't know enough to do the job. Right. Uh, so they offered me a job before I ever got out of school. Mm-hmm. So I went back there for a year. Okay. 
And it's one of those places where I could do anything I wanted to as long as it didn't cost money. <laughs> you know, we had the, yeah. old, the, uh, the old irrigation system where you had to prime the pump, carry five gallons of water up six or seven steps to prime the pump. Yep. You know, all those I'm not familiar with any of that. Uh, well, you're, you're, too, you're too young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, everybody should have to do that. I know. Not, not watering. Yeah. Uh, so I, went to, I stayed there for a year, had, had a lot of success. Uh, I got out of the business for a while. Okay. Um, I, I married. Uh, I was one of the guys who married somebody from Lake City because uh, all the guys from Lake, Lake City that hear this will laugh because every class had somebody who married somebody from Lake City. Oh, really? Jimmy Ellison was one as, okay. as well. Right. So that that's kind of a joke among us. Sure. So, but I was very fortunate uh, to to meet meet my wife there. We got married not long after I graduated. Her mother was way ahead of her time she had uh two re three restaurants real estate business and was was really a influential lady in town and she had all she wanted us to come back and help her in the restaurant business and i right. and i thought well i'm young i can try it if i like it i'm set uh -huh. if i don't like it i can get back in well after six months uh not having a day off uh, i learned a lot about the restaurant business right but I also learned that that wasn't my lifestyle and our uh -huh. lifestyle. Right. So I left there, and uh, Palmer Maples again helped me get a job back in Atlanta at uh, Mystery Valley, public golf course owned by DeKalb County. Great golf course. Uh, I learned a lot there. Uh -huh. Sometimes what not to do. Right. Which is as important as what to do. I agree. I agree. Big winter damage in the, the cold, one of the colder winters. When you look back in, in history, seventy six, seventy seven, the golf course stayed frozen. The greens frozen for six weeks. Uh -huh. We lost every green, every tee, half of every fairway. So I got a lot of experience replanning and things. And right. But I also got to meet a lot of people around the area. Sure. Which because the, the, as an assistant. Uh, I went to all the meetings on Tuesday. I didn't go play golf on Monday. Right. So I got to meet a lot of people in the Atlanta area at that yeah. time. So it was, a, it was a great learning experience. Yeah. Now, is that course still there? Yeah, it's still yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so how did you talk me through the transition to how you ended up at Atlanta? Because you were at Atlanta Athletic Club for quite a while. So yeah, talk me well, through how you got well, to there. After Mystery Valley, I, one of my good friends from Lake City was uh, in, in Montgomery, Montgomery Country Club, and a job came open there uh, at Lagoon Park. Mm -hmm. And he called me and uh, said, I, I've got it set up for you for an interview here. I said, well, I'm on my way. Yeah. Uh, as it turns out, my wife was out of town. Okay. And I had interviewed for a job uh, probably six or seven months before in Montgomery at Maxwell Air Force Base. And she went with me, and we went through an area that you normally would not go through unless you were armed. Uh -huh. I'm with you. <laughs> and we got to the gate, and she said, I don't care what they offer you. We're not coming here. <laughs> Just you, you can go interview and all, but we're not coming here. Right. So I go to Montgomery. She's visiting her mother back in Lake City. I see this golf course. It is brand new, not even open yet. Uh, the pride of the city, uh, th there's only three people between me and the mayor. Fabulous softball complex. Uh, great, great opportunity. So I take the job. 
So I called my wife and said, <laughs> well, I got some news. She said, well, what is it? I said, well, I, I've taken another job. And she goes, well, where is it? I said, well, it's a great golf course. It's brand new. I got all new equipment, new building. Well, where is it? Well, I got 45 people. It's a wonderful <laughs> opportunity. And she goes, oh, no. Yeah. It's in Montgomery, isn't it? I said, yeah. <laughs> so, but that, what a great place. Right. It, that, I still say that's probably one of the best jobs I ever had because there was so little uh, hierarchy. If mm -hmm. I needed anything, all I had to do was call the mayor. And I said, I had 45 people now. Right. For 18 holes and the softball complex. Okay. <clears throat> that's a lot of people. Well, yeah. So we, we, that place shined. Uh-huh. We did an overseeding program. <clears throat> and got a lot of attention. Right. And but I stayed connected in Georgia, uh -huh. and and I tried to stay connected as as many places as I could. I right. got in, involved in GCSAA. Uh, we we hear a lot about Roundup. Guess right. where the, the EUP work for Roundup was done? Mm -hmm. Lagoon Park. I got you. The first advertising in that Roundup did for golf course stuff was at Lagoon Park. Okay. So. I tried to stay active and right. out and about. The job came open at Idle Hour, and they contacted the Georgia GCSAA, two uh, local, two superintendents in Atlanta that were very influential, and the largest equipment dealer. I was the only common name that they got from all four people. Okay. So I got the first interview and got that job. Great opportunity. I, I remember looking at the golf course with the committee, and we're standing on 18 looking back at the clubhouse, and there's the only green spots, this little spot on the green. Uh -huh. And I go, guys, I don't mean to be rude, but how did this place ever get this way? Right. And they said, well, what do you mean? It's always been this way. Mm. I said, I think I can help you. Yeah. So what they had plenty of money. They just needed leadership and guidance. We put in an irrigation system. We built uh, – lakes, drill wells, planted trees, some they've already had to cut down. Right, um, of course. I got to build a new maintenance facility, and I, and I got to do something that very few people get to do. I got to name the street the maintenance facility was on. All right. 419 Pincross Lane. Nice. Because we had converted to Pincross yep. uh, that summer before. Yeah which was kind of interesting. I knew that if I ever wanted to get to Atlanta, which was my goal, right. to get back with the big boys in Atlanta, uh -huh. I needed bent grass experience. Yeah. Well, the winter of 83, 84, 84, 85 made that possible because it killed the Bermuda greens. Right. And I, back then I gave them an option in, in the spring of 85. I said, we can either do what we've been doing and get what we've had the last sure. few years we can plant the Bermuda grass back and cover and not overseed. That was really f kind of far-fetched back then. Right. Or we can convert to bent grass. And after studying it and talking it over, the president said, well, what's the worst thing that can happen with the bent grass? Well, it can die in the summer. Yeah. He said, well, the Bermuda grass has died in the winter, so let's, let's give it a try. Well, right. It's still there. Yeah. So we had this tournament called the Peach Blossom where a lot of the amateurs, uh, best amateurs in the state came and played. And I'd met a lot of people from the athletic club, and I'd played in the tournament myself mm -hmm. and, and played with several people and met a lot of people from the athletic club. And they happened to be going through a renovation that was not going well. And At the athletic club? Yeah. Yep. And I had uh, 
I had great greens there uh-huh. in Macon at that, and they saw that. Um, I remember talking to my assistant one day, going, and I said, "I'd really like to meet just one happy athletic club member." Right. You know, I said that a few more times. Sure, sure. <laughs> but uh, that they were in a in a real bad situation with the renovation. It was right. late. They had problems, and so that job came open, and uh, I got the opportunity. The the opportunity really came about two years earlier when uh, Gaylord Cohen, who was the vice president of Goldkist, uh, go, I'm, not, I'm not sure if Goldkist came this far north, but they started, they, they were big it. in the southeast in, in a farming co-op, okay. and they wanted to get into the golf course business. Uh-huh. So I did business with them, their local store there in Macon, and they recommended that he talk to me. Uh-huh. So I went up and, and played the athletic club with him. I think I shot 76, yeah. played good. Sure. Uh, didn't play slow, didn't throw any clubs or anything like that. Right. Had a good visit with him, and, and he offered me the job. Yeah. And I thought about it and, and told him that I really liked the golf course business. I really wasn't ready to get out of it. Uh-huh. But here's a guy that uh, I think you ought to hire. I gave him a, a, a sales guy that I knew that, that he did hire and went on to be work with him for probably 15 years, 20 years maybe. Well, two years later, guess who's chairman of the search committee for the job at the athletic club when it comes open? Yeah. Mr. Cohen. Yeah. So in some ways, I kind of got the job a couple of years before. So right. it was – we went through the formalities of the interview and everything. Sure. But I basically had the job. And I, I remember when he, he sat down in front of me with the club president, Renee Cody, and they said, we're looking to put together a 25-year team. Uh-huh. You know, that kind of gets your attention. Oh, yeah. Not many people think that far ahead. Right. But that's what they did. Especially and that far back. in the, These days may be a little different, but now, I mean, that that's something very fresh and new. Yeah, and that, that really got my attention. Yeah. And uh, so I went to work in September of 88 and uh, spent 27 wonderful years there. Well, yeah, I, I, that I've been on the grounds at a couple of the different tournaments, and I'd love to hear some of the what you went through at Atlanta Athletic Club because I know from the time you got there until what it's like today, there was a lot of changes. So, talk about some of the things you did. <coughs> uh, you know, I really, I really try to give people specifics. What are some of the challenges? I mean, the golf course itself is massive. It's big. It's one of the most prominent in Atlanta and certainly in the country, but. You did a lot of things there. I know there was fairway. Uh, um, you did fairway conversions. You did maybe some greens conversions. You did a lot of different moving things, and I'm sure we could spend a lot of time on that. But uh, in your 27 years, what are some of the highlights? Well, we had a women's open in 18 months when I got there, and we had nine greens that were playable out of 37. Oh, wow. So some people so, call me crazy, but I was, I was just an optimist. You know, it can't, right. it can't get any worse. Right. So uh, – we got that, got that done. Uh, was it bent grass at the time? It was bent grass, and the renovation that they'd done on the Highlands course was was not very good. Yeah, uh, ten greens were rebuilt, left eight old greens that would uh, they would perk about uh, an inch of water every month. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, the water would stand in the cup for weeks, right. and then you had ten new greens. And I told them that. We, we're going to have to do another renovation. And, you know, that's like telling a guy after he just renovated his house and right. spent a lot of money, you know, this is not 
just not very good. Right. But I had to do that. And Mr. Cohen, my my good friend, yeah. I remember his famous last words, we're not rebuilding that golf course. Yeah. Well, in 1994, they voted to rebuild it because we, we they wanted to do another PGA because they'd had the PGA in 81. Uh-huh. And Kerry Haig, my good friend with the PGA of America, came in and said, we can't. We can't play on this golf course with these greens the way they are. There's, yeah. there's too much difference. And that, along with all the slide presentations I did, showing them all the layering and all the old greens, new greens, we were able to sell a project to bring Reese Jones in and, and remodel the golf course. So we did that in 94, 95. Yeah. Um, now, now there's two golf courses there. Yeah. So was this the that's a one, Highlands that, course. And, now, which is the one that's hosted – are they both the Highlands? The Highlands. The, the Riverside course hosted the Women's Open. Okay. And so it was kind of the member course. Right. So we had the, the the PGA in 01, a great event, coolest summer in 25 years. Yeah. So the bent grass held up good, uh-huh. uh, but soft. You know, sure. you, you get the the we call it the steam vegetable effect in <laughs> August in, in Atlanta and yeah. most places in the Southeast. Right. So they, they could stop the ball. So it was, yeah. if they hit the fairway, it was not, not too difficult. Yeah. And, and those guys are so good. So David Tom's uh, won great, okay. great tournament. Um, after the PGA, we had the U S junior amateur uh-huh. in 2002, which was another great event. Several of those players are, are now on the tour right. playing and doing well. Uh, the member course had kind of been left alone. Uh-huh. And it started out as let's let's hull out the greens and, uh, and just replace the mix and leave everything. It started from there in 96, talking about it after the Highlands renovation. Uh-huh. By 2002, it was a full-scale, total rebuild, uh, new car paths, new drainage, irrigation, rerouting, adding one new hole, rerouting three holes. Sure. Massive project. Uh, great job by Reese Jones. And, and one of the turning points was we were in a meeting, and I planted some Xeon in 97 on some tees in the shade. Uh-huh. And it worked so good, we kept moving it to other tees. And I got to watch it on 15 and number 15, which was the par three that Tom's made the hole in one on. Mm-hmm. 17 was Bermuda on the just over the hill, uh, and it was Bermuda grass. So we got to compare the two. And divot wise, there was always less divots on the par three 15 with Xeon. Right. So you kind of click that in your brain and. It always it stayed green into December and was uh-huh. green again in March. So you start looking at all these things, and right. we got ready to make the grassing decisions on Riverside. And one of the members said, "Well, I'd really like to stay with Bermuda grass." And I said, "Well, that's fine. We can do that, and we guarantee ourselves to be as good as everybody else." Yeah. He kind of looks at me funny, and I go, "Well, surely you don't expect to do the same thing and be better." If, right. if you want to be better and you want to be the best, we got to do something different. And Xeon is the option that gives us to be the best. Uh-huh. So that was kind of the turning point. So yeah. we, we did the Xeon. Uh, we did diamond on the back tees because, we, you know, the back tees keep moving back in the shade. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And it was such a success. The guest play on Highlands, which, you know, is, is two years removed from the PGA. Uh-huh. 
Guest play was 90% on Highlands, 10% on Riverside. Right. It went to 40 on Highlands, 60 on Riverside. So here we are. They, award, they had awarded us the PGA for 2011 at the closing ceremony of 01. Uh-huh. So here we are with the PGA coming up, and Highlands is our second best golf course on the property. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. 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 So we're, we're, yeah. we're fighting the battle of keeping up with the Joneses on right. our own property. Yeah. So we had to look at what can we do to make Highlands better mm-hmm. and how to make it better than Riverside. Well, when people saw the diamond on the back tees, I tell people it's kind of like seeing a Miss Tennessee and you think, oh, she's beautiful. Well, then Miss World walks up. Yeah. And she's going to win the beauty contest every time. And the diamond was certainly a, just a fabulous surface. Right. So that, along with when, when you looked at the bunkering we did in 94, 95, the bunkers were done 240 to 270 off the back tee. Well, by 2002 and three, when we did Riverside, the bunkering was 270 to 310. Yeah, big difference. For Highlands, when we did when we did do the renovation in 2006, it went from 280 to 330. Ooh. So think think about that change. Sure. So if we had had not done a renovation, the bunkers would have been totally out of play. Right. So the decision was made to renovate Highlands and put it put in the diamond fairways. Uh, the one mistake that was made, they took out the sand cap. Okay. So it was we put on the red clay, uh-huh. and as we found out later. That's not a good situation. Right. Uh, everywhere we had sand cap on the tees and approaches, it was fine. Uh-huh. But we did have some da- winter damage from that. Um, what was that decision? It was it uh, financial or how? How? What made yeah, that decision? It was. It was financial. Yeah. Uh, we 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 didn't have as much money as everybody thought, and yeah. so, and and uh, a cap was put on it. We sure. could only spend this much. Right. So. That got it's one of the things that got kicked out. Yeah, how many? Fa- you, you did the, all the tees and fairways and diamond on the yeah. highlands. Yeah, how many acres was that? It was only twenty five. Oh, okay. Yeah, that it golf was, course seemed bigger than that. Well, it's it's long, <laughs> just not wide. Yeah. Uh, what it, what and, was the yardage when it, when you had the? Uh, gosh, it was it, it stretched out over seventy seven hundred yards. Yeah. The interesting thing we did we did the, a new irrigation system, and we did it inside outside. Mm-hmm. Tees, fairways, and greens. Uh-huh. So we laid the fairways out with the irrigation system because it went in the intermediate rough. Right. So here we are in 2006 laying out the fairways for 2011. Sure. So Kerry Haig and I spent a lot of time on phone calls, emails, pictures, making sure we got it right because we, we really couldn't change the fairway outline after right. the grass was down. Yeah, for sure. That's kind of one of the drawbacks to having the two-grass system. but. Right. Just a lot of planning ahead. Well, it takes that. I mean, you know, I, and speaking of planning, I mean, what was it like to host those big tournaments and, and especially like oh, a, something like a major championship? It, it, it There's so many things involved in that yeah. uh, that, that you don't think about sometimes. But obviously you've got to have volunteers. You've got to be prepared for, for anything that could go wrong. Uh-huh. You got to have equipment. You got to have transportation for those. Right. You got to have housing. Uh-huh. You got to have uniforms. You got to have food. You got to have all these things kind of outside the normal operation. Sure. Uh, you got to have a media plan because you're going to get a lot of attention. Right. One and one of the things I did, uh, 
my brother came, who's in he's in this in the sales side of the business. He spent ten days with me. He drove me to and from work. He he answered my phone and radio. That was immeasurably important. Wow. Yeah. Because it freed me up just having having somebody to handle some of those things because uh-huh. you, you with three radios and a phone you yeah you, you just can't handle all of it yeah and uh there's just so many things uh we had a photographer a specific photographer all he did was take pictures because uh-huh. you you can never capture it yourself right, right. that was one of the things I, I really look back and think what what a what a great thing that was uh we had all the guys who had worked as superintendents and assistants came back and helped that week. Uh-huh. That, that was probably one of the highlights. Right. Uh, just the, the amount of pressure that comes from 27 hours of HDTV yeah. to uh, 170 countries to a viewing audience of 760 million people yeah. looking down at your golf course. Sure. Uh, really makes makes you feel a lot of pressure because uh-huh. I, I think we're all we all watch golf on TV and we look and we we see something that doesn't look perfect and you it stands out because we're trying to see right. what's wrong. Uh, one of the things I did before both majors was take a helicopter and f- do a flyover a month out to see okay what will the camera see that I can't see from the ground right and we picked out some things that we're able to fix and and make look better because of that. So that's one of the things I, now you can do it with a drone, but right. uh, back then we had to use a helicopter. <laughs> well, what is, what were some of the challenges with hosting? I mean, how, how long did it take to set up? What's set up teardown like? I mean, working with the PGA, the, the news and all that. I mean, how, well, that's gotta be just a nightmare in itself. Well, there's so many things there you mentioned. Yeah. One of the things people don't r- realize is there's more work outside the ropes than there is inside. Sure. Because the, the, the tournament week, the golf course is small, the ropes are up, yep. you've got more people, more equipment, more time than you ever have. Yeah. So from, from the golf course perspective, uh, it's, it's much easier because yeah. you, you've just got more of everything. Sure. Outside the ropes, you've got trucks bringing in things, you've got forklifts, you've got installing all the hospitality. Right. And I, I've seen some real horror stories from things that happen with, you know, driving a a metal stake through a 12-inch main line, all kind of things. Right. I started uh, early on with CBS, uh, going to tournaments, meeting people, uh, meeting Jim Nance, meeting Lance Barrow, meeting the camera guys, making sure we had a good relationship. Uh-huh. So when the camera guys came in, they tried to take care of the place. I right. let them play golf when they were in town and things. So developing that relationship was really big. Yeah. Uh, there, there's more outside than there is inside. Yeah. Then, from a media perspective, uh, Golf Digest did an article about a month out that said the South's going to rise again. It's all because of the grasses at the Atlanta Athletic Club. Uh-huh. Because in 2009, that, yeah. we converted to champion. Yeah. Well, you talk about pressure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about pressure. So, yeah. I really had to have a good media plan. I was fortunate to have 
have known Jeff Bolig with GCSAA. He came and spent the week, and he helped line up a lot of things. I, I did more interviews that week than Tiger Woods did. Sure. And mainly because he missed the cut. But, uh, <laughs> but th that really helped having that, that media plan. Right. Because it's, it's, if you've watched some of the stuff on TV, you've got to have the message you want to get across. It right. doesn't matter what they ask you. You've got to get your message across. Right. And you have to be very careful. I, I had one situation where a, a, a friend who was a, a golf rider came up and was talking to me, and he, he, he had this pen he was holding. Well, it turned out it was a recorder. Sure. We were kind of – this was supposed to be off the record. Right. And you really, you really have to watch. Yeah. And, I, and be be ready for, for things that uh, yeah. aren't as they look. I, I, would, I would assume so. I had the pleasure of working at the um, uh, volunteering a couple of weeks ago at the WGC down in Memphis. And I noticed um, – you know, I, work, I worked on the maintenance crew. I mainly mowed fairways every all week. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm like you. I noticed inside every you have so many more people. So much you you get the golf course itself took care of itself. It was just a, there really wasn't the strain. It was there's constant carts going by. There's all this motion, even while the tournament's going on. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, how do how do you deal with all this? Because it drive your hair out. You know, just make you just lose your mind that, that mm -hmm. this is all going on. And and that was a. I think there was a limited field there too, so the oh, spectators yeah. were reduced. And I couldn't imagine, uh, you know, a major major championship with all that m way more stuff going on. And so that's the one thing I picked up on. Like us, we always pick up on things yeah. that nobody else would really notice. And I said, this is this is wild. And those people are just doing what they got to do, but it's all over the place. Yeah, and. It always goes in more carefully than things come out. Right. And we're tired, but you really got to stay on top of them mm -hmm. coming out. A couple other things that I would I would say that we did uh, every meal, morning and evening, I would have some type of speaker come in. Okay. Uh, everybody from the club president to somebody from the P president of the PGA. Uh, Jimmy Patino from Valderrama was there with me that week. I had him come in and speak, but the 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 real feather in the cap was my wife had said, "I only have one request this week. I want to meet David Faraday." Uh huh. So I kind of kept that in mind, and on Sunday morning, I I did the the morning drive, the probably six thirty or so. Well, he was on after me, so I I waited for him, and I said, "David, I really need you to do me a favor. I need you to come down and speak to my group and and meet my wife." And I said, I need to, I need a pass to go fishing. Yeah. So, so he said, I'm all in, let's go. So yeah. we went down and uh, I drive up with him on the cart and she runs out and gives him a kiss. And, oh, and wow. she's like, Oh, what did I just do? <laughs> uh, and there's a video you can search now and still find the video he did uh, talking to all our crew uh -huh. on that Sunday morning, which was a, a great way to kind of end things for everybody. Yeah. But setting up things like that for your volunteers, that's really makes it, special for them I, I certainly agree I, I i noticed the the just a little uh, logistics of things that i was involved in with just making sure you got meals making sure you've got everything handled the the uniforms like you say um you know all of those little things make not only the volunteer experience uh helpful and nice for them but also kind of gives you something to give back and do things and and i, I that i heard he spoke at the gcsa uh, many mm -hmm. a couple years ago or several years ago yeah. now and that was one of the Best talks I ever yeah. heard. It was wild. He is a funny guy yeah. and just so off the cuff. Yeah. And I think his talk was supposed to be like 45 minutes and he ended up talking for like two hours mm -hmm. and just 
about everything. And he even kind of talked, hinted about it. He's like, this is just kind of what I do. He'll go over here and be back over here and then come right back. And it was, it, uh, I'd love to meet him one day. It'd be yeah. something special. He's, he's a fun guy. Yeah. But it, it, we learned a lot from the 2001 event to, to 11. Number one, uh, don't have any more people there than you need. Right. Uh, in 01 with Bentgrass, we had a, a person at each green, had two shifts, sitting there with a uh, cooler that had ice in it and then a pump-up sprayer with water. Uh-huh. Because you try to think about how can I keep things from going wrong. Right. You know, you shut the pump station down, so you only, only got a jockey. You don't want to be pulling a hose. You don't want to be plugging in a quick coupler. What if it sticks? What if the guy pulls it too hard, breaks it? All those things you uh-huh. think about, what can what can go wrong? Right. So that's why we did the pump-up sprayer thing, so they could run out and just touch up some hot spots. Yeah. But that took a lot of people. Sure. So we didn't have that in 01, uh-huh. I mean in 11. So we, we were able to reduce volunteers, which which helped a lot. Right. Because that, that cut down on the food. We also depended on the PGA to provide catering to provide food in 01. That didn't work out well. Uh-huh. So we had we hired a, a restaurant in the area that I knew. They came out and did breakfast and lunch for everybody. That that worked great. So yeah. we, we did learn a lot. Uh-huh. The other thing I tell people is don't ever do anything the first time during a major. Uh-huh. Now, I learned that from experience. Uh-huh. In 01. Sounds like it. <laughs> in 01, we, uh, we had a lake on 15 that it would get this film on it. Uh-huh. And we had figured out that uh, if you put a surfactant on it, it would, it would just disappear. Uh-huh. Well, we kept trying to get that lake better and better, and we installed an uh, uh, air diffusion system sure. in it. Well, wouldn't you know it, on Tuesday afternoon, the lake begins to get that film on it. So I told the guys, go put, go put the surfactant out. Well, Wednesday morning, I came in about daybreak and rode over the hill, and I look at 15 Lake, and I go, oh, my gosh, did it snow? Oh, so, so I can see where this is going. <laughs> yeah. So we had this white foam about probably yeah. a foot or two thick yeah. on the lake. So it's like, oh, my gosh, I forgot we we hadn't done that since we put the diffuser in. Right. Well, we sprayed a defoamer, and the lake looked great the rest of the week, but I just I still laugh at that coming over that hill, <laughs> seeing that that foamy lake going out. We did something th- we hadn't yeah. done before. Can't think of everything. <laughs> That's crazy. That's a great story. So um, 2011 was the PGA. What, um, what did you have anything major after that before you – you left there? Yeah, or? we had the uh, U.S. Amateur in 14. And, yeah. and I'd, I'd kind of started looking around uh, at t- in 2010 going, uh, you know, I'll be 62 at, in 2015. That's really a good time. Yeah. Uh, I'd always said I want to retire early uh-huh. because my, my dad, uh, I can remember him talking about when I retire, I want to do this. When I retire, I want to do that. Yep. I, I, when I retire, I want to, I want to get a Mercedes. When I, well, he died at 54 and didn't get to do any of that. Right. So that kind of stuck with me. Sure. And I was very fortunate to, to, in so many ways, but to be at a club that had a great retirement program. Uh-huh. That's one of, the, one of the reasons I went there. That, the retirement program they had was really, really good. So I could tell that uh, the business was kind of taking its toll. Right. Uh, 
things started bothering me that didn't bother me before. And the, the, when you look at that period of 2000 through 2000, really 2011, all the remodeling, all the championships, uh, I had a lot of miles on me. Right. And I, I could tell that it was it was time. So I, I, we decided in 2010 that 15 would be the year. Right. And uh, I, I, re I think that was a great move for me. Yeah. Uh, because I was, uh, it was. I could tell it was time. Sure. And I mean, you know, you, you yeah. know, you know. Yeah. yeah. And and I, I think about the business, and I I think about uh, one of the questions I wrote down here in preparation for for doing this was, and and I ask this question when I speak a lot of times is how many of you know people that retired at 66 in this business? Yeah. And you see people look around and scratch their head, and there's not a lot. Right. And why is that? Yeah. Well, it, it's a holidays, seven days a it's week. Tough. You never get away from it. Yeah. And it, it takes its toll. Yeah. It really does. And I, and I, I talk to people about it's probably good to be thinking about a second career while you're going through this, mm -hmm. what, what are the other things you like to do? Yep. Uh, making sure that you make friends in the industry, right. treat treat people well before you need them, mm -hmm. uh, because the majority of us aren't going to last in this business till we get to be sixty six. Right. Some of that is is just just personal burnout. Some of it is we don't get a choice. But it's it's a hard business. I think yeah. it's harder today than it's ever been. Well, it certainly is. I, you know, I, I've shared a little bit of my story, but I mean, I, I, I got started young. I was parking carts and picking balls at, at 15 years old and kind of worked my way. I played golf. Um, my story is very similar to a lot of people and, and, and I just got involved in golf and, and worked my way up. And, but I've, I've got 23 or 24 years of being a, a superintendent and, and in the business and, and unfortunately, I, you know, it, it kind of gobbled me up and spit me out, but I, I still love it. But I'm young and I'm trying to, but I'm, but I, like you said, I'm looking for a second career, sort of moving different directions, got a lot of things, but this is what I know. It's what I love. I've met so many good people and, and I continue to meet great people. And, and uh, I use this platform to kind of help people that may be listening to this that are sitting in that same situation, whether they lost a job mm -hmm. or they're struggling or they're just burnt out, you know. How can they, how can we help them? And hearing hearing from people like you and me that's been through it and and giving them an experience, I think is is a, is a big thing for them and huge for people to hear that, you know, not everybody's going to make it to the end. Yeah, I mean, just that's just the nature of the business. I mean, we're seven day a week, like you said, holidays, not a lot of time downtime. Uh, something happens at night, you're going to get called. I mean, just on and on and on, and that's just tough. You never let it go. Right. You never get away from it. And, and, and I think the phones and all that, email has made it worse, mm -hmm. not not necessarily better. And and I think back about that story about Idle Hour where I was the only person that was the common denominator in the four people that they called. Uh -huh. uh, to make sure people network, network yeah. up, I call it. Right. Because if you're looking for a job, you, you, it's it's good that people know who you are, uh -huh. and that's it's not my responsibility to get to know you. Yeah. It's yours to get to know me. Yep. So that if if somebody calls Ken and says, "Hey, we, we're looking for a guy," so and so and so. Yep. Do you, do you know some people? 
So I really encourage people to be active in your association. Sure. Be be out and about. Try try to try to make a lot as many contacts as you can. Yeah. I, I, it's not my original statement, but I, I say this all the time that your network is your net worth, and and the people that you surround yourself with have you. you that's really going to be your circle of people that's going to get you to where you want to go or help you get, you know, you'll help them or they'll help you. And I think that's yeah. uh, huge. I mean, especially in our industry, because we're always trying to help others and, and, and get to know people because we're all dealing with some of the same things. And mm-hmm. that's big for us. So I definitely think that's uh, a point well taken. Yeah. So um, what are you doing now? Sort of kind of, uh, I've read that you were in, I want to touch on this before I forget about it. I, I, you were inducted into the Georgia Golf Hall of Fame. So how did that come about? And tell me about uh, that and sort of what you're doing now. Well, that, uh, the Georgia Golf Hall of Fame was uh, something I'd been involved in from the club standpoint because we had obviously been the home club of Bobby Jones. He was one of the first ones inducted. Uh-huh. Yep. And Several other members got inducted, and the club always went to the Golf Hall of Fame banquet that was in Augusta for so many years. So I'd gotten familiar with it through that. Then uh, the it was at that time a state entity, and the governor uh, appointed me to the board of directors. Now, I'm not sure how that came about, but, right. but anyway, it, that, that happened. And so I got to see it from the board of directors' side actually – uh, approving people for membership into the Hall of Fame. Uh, that went on for probably four or five years, and then the property in Augusta uh, became more valuable. It didn't. We didn't have money to build a building. Uh, people only went to Augusta for basically one time a year. Right. So the decision was made. Uh, it was also state funded. Well, when the recession hit people started looking for a way to cut money and uh, the the government sponsoring hall of fame didn't didn't make the make the list <laughs> sure. uh so it it was uh decommissioned uh turned over to the georgia state golf association uh-huh. well obviously i knew a lot of people there and uh-huh. uh palmer maples was uh, inducted uh, uh some other friends a lot of people that i'd known uh-huh. and uh that was, that was one of the biggest honors, and it's kind of an ongoing thing because every year at the banquet, which is held at the athletic club now, that it, since the uh, Georgia State Golf Association has taken over the operation of the Hall of Fame, uh, you go every year, you get introduced again, you sure. get to you get to meet guys that you've some of the guys I I, I played golf with in the Peach Blossom, uh-huh. so, some I saw play, some uh, I've worked with, uh-huh. uh, so it, it's it's really a uh, quite, probably one of the highest honors that I could ever uh, being being in there with Bobby Jones and a lot of I think the athletic club has the most members of any anybody in the state yeah. as far as Hall of Fame and also two staff members my general manager Chris Borders that I worked with for 24 years uh-huh. uh, that that kind of tells you the yeah. Uh, kind of the group we had there sure. and uh, what, what a what a great experience it was having uh, that 25-year team we talked about. Uh-huh. Chris made it 24, I made it 27. Uh, the director of golf is still there. I think he's probably going on 29 now. Right. Well, how'd you land in Nashville, Tennessee? Well, after uh, after I retired from the club, I, the, I was inducted into the Hall of Fame in uh, January. Um, my last day of work was uh, uh, the end of April. The, 
I did get to go to Lake City, where I went to college, yeah. and speak to the last class, the last day of school when they closed the golf course operations program. Uh-huh. I did that the 40 years to the week from when I graduated. So I, I did that on Tuesday and uh, had the, the retirement party on Saturday night. Right. Great party at the club. They threw sure. me a great party with uh, me probably had a thousand members there and just wow. a, a wonderful celebration. Yep. Uh, I'd started a consulting business back in 2012 in preparation uh-huh. and Blade Runner Farms was one of one of the first people I, I worked with uh, because of my use of the zoysia grasses. Sure. And, and I got to speak a lot of places about it because it really changed the game. After our renovation on Riverside, every golf course in the Atlanta area that did a renovation or built a new golf course used zoysia. Yeah. Because it, it was the new standard. Sure. So I'd gotten a lot of publicity and a lot of, a lot of game – a lot of air time because of that. So I, I spent the first year uh, basically working with Blade Runner Farms, helping promote the zoysia grasses, speaking some, traveling some. Uh-huh. So I've spent three weeks in Ireland with uh, actually three club members and their wives who we went to church with. Yeah. Uh, did, did some fun things. Then uh, Gary Grigg, who was one of the Grigg brothers, uh-huh. uh, and Bruce Williams was – was uh, another owner of Grigg Brothers, uh, had tried to get me to go to work for them right after I left the club, but I, I just I just wanted some more time. Sure. So I waited a year, and then they came back to me and asked me to go to work uh, with, with them setting up a buying program for golf course management companies. So I did that for about a year and a half, and then that turns into, uh, as we merged the two companies, uh, can you go to work full-time as national sales manager? Mm-hmm. Well, at it, 64 years old, getting a job like that was seemed, seemed pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and I said, I'll do it for a while. It'll be temporary because I'm, I'm not the future. I'm just sure. I'm, here to, I'm here to help because yeah. I, I saw the need. Uh, my boss was relatively new, and, and Brant that, that bought Grigg Brothers is a huge agricultural company. Uh-huh. So he had to get his arms around the agricultural side, which is probably 90% of the business, and he needed some help. So I, I saw that that need and uh and decided to to help them out and uh, i end that at the end of end of this month actually yeah i'll go back to just consulting uh working as a cult consultant for them and for blade runner and i continue to speak and and teach as as opportunities come up because i enjoy helping people you know you solve you solve a lot of problems sometimes it's with grass sometimes it with techniques sometimes it's uh a different approach, but yeah. I, I enjoy helping people with that. What, uh, yeah. do you, do you enjoy, I mean, how did you end up though in Nashville? In Nashville did that bring, did well, all that kind of yeah, bring you to Nashville? Well, Cause I, I know the story, but I want you to kind of yeah, tell everybody. I, had, uh, I, I told my wife when we got ready to leave the club, yeah. we can go anywhere you want to go Yeah, because all our moves so far has been a, a, about, about you. work. Yeah. <laughs> so we'd been visiting a place called Palmetto Bluff down in South in Bluffton, South Carolina, with friends who had a second home there. We'd been there, gosh, probably two weeks a year for yep. 10 or 12 years. And she said, I, I think that's where I want to go. And I kind of swallowed hard because that's a that's a nice place. Yeah. And uh, so we wound up buying a lot in, in December of 15 and did a house plan and, and started construction and moved there in the March of 17 and moved into our house and 
in uh, October. Yep. And uh, we found out it's a great place to visit, but not as good a place to live. Oh, yeah. And then our daughter that was there in Atlanta with two of our grandkids, uh, they moved to the Franklin area. Sure. Because her husband got transferred into the home office up here. And so it's a long way from here to Bluffton. Right. Especially when you got to go through Atlanta. So they weren't coming down as much. And like I said, it's a great place to visit, a great resort, but not a lot of uh, permanent residents, hard to find church to fit into. And uh-huh. so she said, I, I want to move. And I said, well, let's, we either need to go to Franklin or to Wake Forest because we had daughters with two grandkids gotcha. in both places. So yep. uh, after visiting and all, Franklin Franklin won. Won out. Yeah, yep. we, we, we love it here. The, yep. the, we live in a, a great a great spot. I got uh-huh. a nice view out the back of the mountains, sure. and uh, people are wonderful. I met, I got to meet a lot of new friends, and yep. and and connect with some old friends. And I, I like music, so yeah. obviously that's a that's it's a great a, place. That's a good spot. Marriage, all that. Yeah. yeah, it's awesome. And and it's a it's it's a it's close to a lot of things. You're yeah. a little more centrally located, yeah. and and we're out of the traffic, and yeah. and and out of the heat a lot. I mean, yeah. Bluffton was a it was hot for a long time. Yeah, I could only imagine. I mean, I, I love, I'm Middle Tennessee, sort of not born here, but I've been raised here for a long time, and I and it's been hard to get away. I went to school in West Tennessee, but came back here, and uh, it's a really great place. Franklin's awesome, but I mean, in and around Middle Tennessee, it's hard to beat. Yeah, a lot of lot of great people, a lot of you know, like you said, the music scene, and you know, Nashville's sort of the hit town now. I mean, it, we saw it coming a long way away, but. Yeah, it's a it's a great place. We're we're, we're I'm happy you're here because I know you'll you'll enjoy it. Yeah, it's it's been fun to to see some meet some new people, yeah. catch up with uh, like I said, Scott friend who lives on the other end of my street yep. uh, was in Atlanta for ten years. I didn't know him well then, sure. but uh, it's nice to have him. It's nice to have Joe see Joe Kennedy and catch up with him some yeah. and uh, and meet some of the guys around. And yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to getting more involved in the association and. Are you going to stay? I mean, I know you said your your job with Brant's coming to an end. Are you going to kind of stay active in the association, try to show your face around? Oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I'll still do. Um, I'll still work with Blade Runner Farms. Okay. I mean, we're we're uh, we're doing uh, a greens renovation at uh, Wind River down in below Knoxville. A lot of interest in the new grasses. For the yeah, I want to pick your brain about that for a little while because uh, I know you you worked with Zoysia a lot and and I'm I'm really excited and, and interested in zoysia as a green option for specifically our area and yeah. and some of the difficulties that Bermuda sort of gives you that what zoysia might offer you. So I'd love to, you to talk on it, and we'll, I'll ask questions, but kind of give me your thoughts on it. Well, we I kind of got started uh, warm season back in 08 when Eastlake had their – we had a tough summer, August – of 08, we averaged 96 for a high, 76 for a low uh-huh. for a month. Yeah. Well, if you remember the tour championship in 08, Eastlake was played on about 40 to 60% green sand. So I was able to go to the board and say, we got the PGA coming in 11. Uh-huh. Do, you, do you want to take a chance on having another uh, coolest winter, summer in 25 years? Or do you, do you want to take the chance of having what Eastlake had? Yeah. Uh, I think we need to change. 
because I, I just I don't I don't feel comfortable going through and trying to have a, a, another PGA in August. It's just it's just with it's grass, it's just not yeah. smart. Yeah, it's it's not you, you don't have the best odds. Right. And I was to the point if we didn't change, I'm not sure I would have stayed because I I, the, I was so petrified of having my last major championship on TV and have bent grass that it failed. Right. I mean, I, I, honestly, I'm, I was that vain. I, I was afraid of that. Yeah. So, fortunately, we got we got the change made, and we did we did have a pretty cold winter in uh, before the PGA. But one of the things I did was when I saw this cold weather coming, we put down six inches of straw under the covers. Sure. And you mentioned some of the problems people have had. A cover is not enough no. for the winter, especially here in, in Middle Tennessee. Right. You got to have more than covers. We they saw that in the Carolinas. You, yep. you got to have whether it's straw, whether it's a, a second cover, whether it's uh, some of these uh, uh, air-filled sure. foam thing. Something you got to yep. do something. There's a lot other yeah, yeah. Than, than covers just, is. I tell people covers is better than nothing, but yeah. the more you can do, the better. Yeah. When you get below 15, yep. I'm doing something different. Yep. Uh, and we've seen some issues with the ultra dwarfs, whether it, whether it's off types, whether it's whether that self uh, in, induced from airification pulling pulling sprigs in sure. and out, whether it's actual contamination from the farm. Yeah. So we we've seen some problems like that. Uh, the maintenance of them is is. It's pretty yeah, intense. It's intense. It's it's not. It doesn't keep you there till seven o'clock on Sunday night yeah. watching Wilt. But right. but there is a lot of work uh, because uh, I think it's what about fifty seven degrees that the leaves come off the stolons and things. So when we we started, uh, I'd, I'd looked at some of the diamond greens and saw them, and I had one, but wasn't really crazy about it. Uh, David Dogay with Blade Runner Farms, uh, the owner. It sent me a couple of samples to look at and kind of got intrigued by that. Uh -huh. And then we we saw a few more, and I started looking at these going, wow. Uh, the texture is very fine. The color is great. One of the things that really caught my eye was that the leaves came off the rhizomes at 90 degrees. Okay. Not the stolons, but uh -huh. the rhizomes. So you think immediately... I'm not going to have to have grain. It's not going to be much of an issue. Mm -hmm. You're not going to have to groom as much, verticut as much. Probably still top dress some, uh, but the color's great. The zoysias require less nitrogen. They have great salt tolerance, great shade tolerance. So you've seen a lot of people who wanted to convert to, to a warm season grass, but, oh, they got all these trees yeah. that they don't own. So this this gave us a, a niche, we felt like. Right. And... I think it's, they're going to be some of the next the next big thing on greens. Yeah, uh, we've still got to get uh, more planted. We we planted uh, a place called Spanish Wells down in Hilton Head last summer. Uh -huh. They're one of the last ones to irrigate with water out of a well, which is highly salty. Sure, and they've got a lot of live oak shade trees because they were one of the first courses built on Hilton Head. So it's been a huge success. Uh -huh. This is the Primo variety. We've all, we've also planted test greens all around uh, in, in in the pine needles area. We we planted a par three course up there with all three varieties, and one variety 
prism survived the winter year before last, mm-hmm. which was so cold. They got to zero a couple of nights, around five, seven, yeah. really cold. But, but they survived in pine shade with no cover. Oh, wow. That's what I was interested. Uh, are you recommending covers? I mean, obviously they're better than nothing. But do you do you see where you would be? You would feel comfortable in in say our neck of the woods with if you had zoysia greens of of being okay with not covering in a situation where you might cover ultra dwarf. No, because I think I think people are missing a big opportunity with covers. Yeah. We use covers for play because you've probably been like me out there with a knife probing to see when the greens thaw out. Sure. Well, we had a lot of nights in the 27-degree range where the bent grass would freeze a quarter of an inch, and you're waiting and waiting. you got a green in the shade. Well, these covers, they never freeze. Mm-hmm. So we use covers for play. Yeah. So while some, some lower-budget places might not be able to afford covers, uh, I think they're a great management tool that right. sometimes people don't realize. Uh, you know, nine o'clock we uncover and go home. Yeah, yeah, we may have to come back and cover again, but they can still play golf. Yeah. And to, because to me, it's all about playing the game. Sure. How can I give you the most good days to play? Right. What I don't care what grass it is. What? How can I give you the most great days to play? Yeah. And the covers are a big part a big of that. Big part of that. Yeah. Uh, but we have seen that the prism variety does have an, an extensive rhizome system, large rhizomes, and we know it's got more cold tolerance than the than the primo. Right. So, I think we're going to see some some different areas. The Middle Tennessee area, uh, prim, the prism is probably the better one. Right. What one of the things that I hear that I guess I guess there's a couple of things. It's, all, it's a new grass, so it's hard to get people to kind of understand it. There's not a lot that they can go look at. But the biggest thing that I hear from our side is, is that establishment, it takes a lot longer. You've been told that, it, you know, you can plant sprigs on Bermuda and be playing in six, six weeks, whereas maybe it takes zoysia a lot longer. Talk a little bit about that. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of experience outside of the, you know, fairway-type grasses and maybe that's sodding. But uh, do you see them – the sprigging greens, zoysia greens being a, um, an issue as far as timing? Um, <clears throat> no. Yeah. From the experience we've gotten so far, uh, we can have you playing in 10 to 12 weeks, depending on how good you want it when you play. Sure. And, and I think that, that time will continue to come down because we've learned a couple of things. One of the things we learned from the, the course in Spanish Wells, we only cut it in one time. And we, when we looked and we saw the, the way it came up, if we'd cut it in, in three ways, it would have covered much quicker. Mm-hmm. So we did that. At, we did a test green at Wind River. 36 days, it's basically covered. Sure. Now, it's not a putting surface yet. Right. So that old, that old question of how good do you want it when you open, that's what actually determines how, long, how many weeks you stay closed. Right. Because when we did our, our first champion greens, we could have opened in eight weeks, but we wanted to set uh, an immediate impact right. on people, so we waited 10 weeks. Uh-huh. So they were rolling 12 and a half and perfect when we opened. Right. So it just depends on how good do you want it when you open up. Yeah. So 
I think with the the this, the sprigging procedure, the cutting in, top dressing, we're going to be similar to Bermuda grass. Not not quite there, but sure. but very similar. That I mean, I think that's big because I, um, if you're if you're considering making a choice, and now you've got a third option, whether it be bent back, you know, ultra dwarf or or zoysia. Now, um, I think that that you need to weigh all the factors, and I think the biggest thing is what do you, what do you want it to look like when it opens, and uh, because. Um, you know, the, the ultra dwarfs are the same way. You can hurry and rush them and you can play on something that's inferior or you can, or what's your expectation. And, mm-hmm. and the difficulty is the guys who are base, basing their decision on a financial situation. How long are they down? How long are they closed? And when can I ring the register again? And mm-hmm. so um, I work for a guy that's a low, you know, I help him. It's a, it's a, just a par three golf course. He's gone through the ups and downs of Bent and Bermuda and not having enough money and, and looking at Zoysia as being a, a, a low-budget option, but how long is he going to be closed to, to – how long mm-hmm. before he can open? And so a lot of those factors are things that we're trying to discuss with him, but I think Zoysia is on the table now oh, for yeah. it being an option for him to, to, to look at. Yeah, because know? in a low-budget situation, you can mow it less. Sure. It requires much less fertility. The color of these is such that you really won't ever have to fertilize for color. Yeah. You don't have as much grooming to do, so – we think there's a real market for them, yeah. and uh, I, I think we've just scratched the surface on how good they can be so far. Yeah. I wonder if we're facing uh, – we're in the Middle Tennessee area. It's been – I was – Brentwood, I was – we were one of the first courses that put it in. It was in 2003, 2004. Um, we did champion. I wonder where we're getting to from a time frame where people are considering maybe looking at a change or doing something different. Um, whether the zoysia will be an option, uh, and how to, and are 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 you are you seeing courses that are what what are, what courses are you seeing that are considering zoysia now? Probably one of the things we see are, are courses with shade mm-hmm. that they don't own that they can't do anything about, or, and nobody really likes to cut trees unless sure. they're causing problems, and and sometimes the trees aren't on your property and you can't do anything about it. So, yeah. uh, and a lot depends on when does my golf course have to be its best. Right. When we looked at uh, – that was one of the key focuses when we did our study at the athletic club. We played 6,000 rounds April through October. So having great greens in January didn't mean a lot. Uh-huh. It, we needed them at their best during that April to October. Well, that was th- three of our worst months there. Right. So that that didn't make sense. So I think when people look at when when do the when do I have to be my best? When do mm-hmm. I have most of my events? When do I have play play most of my golf is important. Uh, and generally, you're solving a problem. Yep. If you have winter damage on your Bermuda, if you have if you're not happy with the surface, if you if you've got some contamination, because uh, one of the things about this orchard is you can spray. Fusillade, right. turf line to take any Bermuda contaminants out. Mm-hmm. So that that gives you an advantage that no Bermuda grasses have. Right. So I think a lot of times your opportunities come from problems. Sure. I, I know all my all my opportunities to change grasses. Uh, I solved a lot of problems changing grasses. Yeah. And I, I was always one of those that I'm always looking for what the next best thing. Yeah. I'm not. I'm never satisfied and. 
and that kind of drove me to always look for something better. Yeah. And because I always feel like there's a better, there's something better, there's a better way. I just got to find it. Right. Well, that that sort of leads me to something that I'd love to to talk about is like, what do you see coming down the pipe? There's a lot of changes in equipment, grassing. I mean, we could go in a variety of different directions, but what are some of the things that you've either got your hand on or you see that are things that you're excited about? Well, the, the, the Zorza for Greens is a big thing. Yep. I think that's that that gives people an option yep. they haven't had before. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that'll help solve some solve some problems and provide people better conditions. Uh, some of the autonomous mowing equipment. Uh, everywhere I go, I hear people that, that can't find enough labor for the golf course. Sure. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of our golf courses were built with a lot of a lot of hand labor built in. Yeah. Uh, so I think that that's an area that can can help a lot of people. We just got to get the cost down to where it's it's affordable. Uh, I, I was working with John Deere years ago uh, on some autonomous stuff that hasn't hasn't hit the market yet, but I don't think we're far away from that. Yeah. Uh, so that will that can help free up people to do other things so i think that's a that's a big thing i'm i'm concerned about the industry from the standpoint of less people getting into it like no, I, I said earlier lake city closed down yeah that was that was the backbone of the supply of superintendents and assistants for the southeast for years sure uh, you're seeing less and less people involved in turf programs uh several people have offered assistant had assistant openings and maybe get one or two resumes. Yeah. And that's that's difficult. So while there may be opportunities to move up as superintendent, you may not be able to find the spray techs and the the uh, assistance you need. Yeah. That's one of the things we've looked at it from the Brant perspective on our fertility programs is how can we come up with programs that are that it doesn't take a college degree to pour these two gallons of material in the tank and, and let somebody who can run a sprayer go spray. Yeah. So we've worked on some things there that, that make it a little simpler and, and not mixing, taking the chance of mixing too many things in a spray tank. Yeah. That, the labor part of it is really concerning to me. I think, I think you, across the board you hear guys are having a hard time finding guys, uh, quality. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what the answer is because it, the, the troubling part is what you mentioned is not a lot of people are coming up in the business. And we're working with a, a limited uh, group of guys right now, and and uh, it's not growing. I mean, if it is, and it's very small, and and um, you know, you need you need that technical help. You need those guys that are sp oh. specialized to do irrigation or spraying. And I think one of the big things is the uh, that I see personally is uh, the the equipment maintenance side, where guys are just you can't find anybody to work on equipment mm -hmm. or that have the skills or the knowledge to because it's a little bit of a specialized talent. Yeah, and, and, you know, at one point, Lake City had a, a, a nine-month program you could go through and get a technician certificate, and there, there were plenty of jobs for them. Yep. But you, you, we couldn't find people to get into that, that side of the business. Yep. And, I, and I'm not sure how you do that. I, I think uh, you almost need an ambassador going to every high school. Yep. I, I'm not even sure if they have the, the old shop classes yep. in high school, but that was a – that was a – a program where a guy could come out of high school, go to school for a, for a, basically a year, 
and have and be set for a job for the rest of his life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. I'm like you, I don't know the right answer. Um, continuing to do things like this, get, get the word out. I mean, I have a son who, um, didn't really show much interest in it. Um, but you know, there's so many things, there's so many options for kids these days. It's hard to push them in a direction yeah. to be out in the heat and the hot, you know, it, like we talked about earlier, it's not, it's just a tough business. It requires a lot of you and, and, and especially people, we don't, we have to be sympathetic to who works for us and they've got their lives and we're, we're asking them yeah. to work early mornings, sometimes late afternoons, uh, every single day, holidays, you know, there's, there's a lot to it. And, and when there's other options available, that's hard. Yeah. And that, that was one of the things I always really tried hard to do was take care of my people. Yeah. Take care of the people that take care of you. Yeah. Make it a good place to work. Make yeah. it a, make it an enjoyable place. Make sure you know, about their family make sure you know if they've got any problems uh, let them know you care about them as a person yeah and show them the same i try to show them the, sh- the same if not more respect than i showed the members yep. because they came in a lot of them seven days a week rain shine cold whatever yep. every that they were always there and i I was very fortunate to have some some really good people and same way the the, the assistants and superintendents that i had i I consider myself very fortunate to have had some of the very best people come through and help me and yeah. work with me over the years. And it kind of kept me young in a way. Sure. Uh, one of the guys uh, that that worked for me uh, made a statement that I, that I, I kind of wish I'd heard earlier because it really, really touched me. Yeah. He said, just remember – other than my father, you're the most influential man in my life. Now, th- and now think about that as a, as a superintendent, as a director, whatever. Uh, all these young guys come up, and they're they're looking to you for leadership, yep. for the for the way you handle things, and how you handle adversity, and yeah. and th- those sorts of things. And that that really stuck with me. Yeah, I think for sure. I think that's important. I, we how we care ourselves as leaders is. Uh, whether we like it or not, we, we, we mentor guys. We, we try to be supportive of them. We're, you know, we're, we're who they look to for a lot of guidance and leadership. And, and, and just like your kids would or anything, they look at you and how you react in certain situations and how you handle that has a huge impact Mm -hmm. on them. I'm curious to, I'm curious if there's one piece of advice you got or one book that you read that you sort of, uh, that you sort of keep with you that kind of motivates you or keeps you going or, or something that something that you latched onto that's sort of your driving um, influence yes uh, and I'm trying to remember the name of the book uh, the name of the author but it's it's about uh, it's about life uh-huh. and it they, he compares the game of life to monopoly okay and the question he asks is you think about monopoly yeah you play the game and you put it back in the box. How can you live your life so you leave something outside the box for people? Yeah. And I, it, it drives me crazy that I can't remember the, the author's name, <laughs> but that's age. Yeah, that's but, all right. But that, so that kind of drives me a little bit yeah. to to try to make sure you 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 try to have a good influence on people. And, yeah. And we're all here. Uh, we're not here by chance. I don't think. No, I don't. You know the, the the meeting we're having today. You're we're learning some things about each other yep. that that uh, that are important, and 
will will help both of us. Sure. So, wherever I go, whatever I do, I, I feel like I, there's an opportunity there to to help somebody. Yep. And don't take that for granted. I hear you. I, I you've you've got way more than I've got, but I but I know one of the things you probably. Probably the best thing you don't get to talk about much is the people that have worked for you and have gone on to do superintendents or in the business. I mean, there's, you've probably got a bunch that you can talk about, but how, how, it, how impactful is that to you to, to, to like give you some sort of sense of how, how you've impacted other people? I don't, I don't think there's anything more meaningful than for one of them to call you up and say, I need somebody to talk to. Yep. Uh, I've got a job offer, and I don't I don't know what to do. I don't always tell people what to do, but I do. I, I think I'm a good listener. Sure. And I, I'm I still work. I still try to help guys get jobs because once you work for me, you're one of my guys till till I'm gone. Yeah. And uh, so I've been fortunate to help a lot of them uh, get interviews. Because I, I can't get them the job. I can get them the interview. Right. <clears throat> so that's that's my – I've tried to always fulfill my responsibility to them. Their responsibility was you come work for me for two, three, four, five years, whatever, and then I'll help you the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've had some really, really great guys. Yeah. And, and part of that was the athletic club, the the, the reputation of the club, the the events we had. We were able to get some, very, some of the very best people. Yeah. And – it's it's kind of a family, yeah. and, and now we've we've got uh, guys who have other guys that worked at the athletic club working with them, and uh, interns. You know, yeah. we, you think about interns. Oh wow! Yeah. I mean, we've had so many good people, and uh, I, I I just I'm so thankful that I had that opportunity to work with all these guys because they yeah. they do keep you young, and they sure. I love that synergy because we I try not to make too many decisions just one of myself I tried to make sure if it's a fertility program for it's a procedure I want to hear what they thought Uh and and the other thing that does that they buy into the decision when they've had input so uh, I I tried to give them an opportunity to show what they could do yeah and I think that that worked well well I I certainly hope that that they know that you that your impact on their life that, that you appreciated that and I know what they've what they've gone on to do you are a big influence in that and I and I we get a lot of people listening so if they listen and they hear you talk about it I I know they're going to be a uh, you know um, enjoy hearing you talk about how that's even if you don't get to tell them every day you, those are those are big impactful things because I know I, I've had a very limited number of guys that move on but uh, they've maybe done something different but it's always been a joy to see them just kind of work themselves out and get uh, grow in the business you know, it's awesome. Yeah, you, you're just really pr- – it's a yeah. source of pride because yeah. it's, it's kind of almost like your children. Yep. I mean, they, they've grown up and are doing well, and uh, it's, it's nice to get those phone calls. Yep. And uh, it's nice to see them successful in, 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 in life as yep. well as business. For sure. Well, I always kind of like to wrap things up by talking uh, about things you like to do that don't involve running around on a golf course or, you know, because we talk about how rough this business is. <laughs> What are some of the things that you get away from and do? Do you like to travel, play golf? I know we, you know, there's a lot of things, but what are things that kind of get you going off outside of the world of golf course? And well, I, I do enjoy playing. Yeah. Uh, usually, somebody else's golf course. Sure. Uh, I started a book years ago when some of my assistants would want to try to take some money off of me, 
And <laughs> so every time I won money from people, I put their name on it, put the date, and put it in this book. Uh-huh. And it all started with the first guy I hired after I got to the athletic club, John Holmes, wanted to play me. And I said, well, I'll play you for a dollar. So that's the first entry is his dollar. Okay. So I kept doing that for years. So that's been a that's a fun thing. So I still enjoy playing. Uh, probably my second or my biggest hobby is is fly fishing. Uh, I love to fish for trout. Being in Atlanta on the Chattahoochee River, that's uh-huh. the southernmost trout stream in the country. And my GM, Chris Borders, got me started fly fishing. Great way to get away from things. You know, 50-degree water up oh, around yeah. your waist with the sound of running water, watching a fly. You really can't think about anything else. No. So great. that was a great thing to get away. Yep. And so all types of fishing I enjoy. I enjoy traveling. Uh, I enjoy hiking. I enjoy being outdoors. Yep. Uh, but as as I tweeted today, make sure you wear a hat and sunscreen because yeah. I'm, I'm coming off of my fifth uh, uh, basal cell carcinoma removal and uh-huh. uh, with a skin graft which is not any fun so uh-huh. young guys please please wear the sunscreen and yeah. the hat it's not fun it messes up your hair but hey yeah <laughs> it in the long long run it'll pay dividends i hear you i hear you well uh what what have i what did, I, I would be remiss if i didn't say or ask what is, what is something i i didn't ask that you want to really say to to or talk about i because I mean, I've, I I could sit here and talk to you for uh, uh, forever, and but your time is valuable, and and I appreciate you sitting down and talking to me. But uh, I want uh, if there's anything that we didn't talk about that you want to kind of talk about or say, I'd love to I'd love to hear it. Well, first I've, I've enjoyed it very much. It's, yeah. it's it's been fun to look back. I I feel very blessed to have had the career I've had. I I got to go to some golf courses that were in some really tough conditions when I went there. It was easy to be a hero. Yeah. It's a lot harder now. Uh-huh. Most of the conditions we, we inherit now are, are much, much better than some of the opportunities I had. So I think I'd go, I'd go back to that, prepare for your second career. Yeah. Find some things that you can do along. Uh, make sure you make uh, positive impacts with with the people you deal with every day whether it's suppliers vendors whoever because at some point you'll probably need to do something else yep and that's that's tough but as we know the golf industry is still shrinking some Mm -hmm. i mean some people say we need to close another thousand some say two thousand hopefully it's not any but uh, we know it's it's going to get a little more difficult and the chances of Retiring at 66, working as a superintendent, are are slim. Sure. So trying to prepare for, for the next chapter is something I, I don't – I didn't think about it. Yeah. But so I, I hope people will, th- will think about that some. Well, I, I, I think it's a great place to kind of wrap it up. I, I think it's a great message. Th- this has been a pleasure. I appreciate you doing this. It's been nice sitting down and uh, learning about you and getting to know you and uh, hope it leads to a, a, a better relationship with, between you and I and uh, things to, and better things to come. We'll get out and play some golf. and uh, Yeah, I'd like to have it. one of your dollars in my book. I, well, I'm, <laughs> I can certainly give them out, but I'm, I'm actually not that bad myself. So. But uh, uh, I've got a higher handicap now. <laughs> I, I don't get to play much. I mine's, mine's, I, w- I did play college golf, so that if that gives you a little indication, it's not how I play now. But uh, but uh, 
I really do appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for uh, welcoming me to your club. Uh, we're at Old Natchez. If anybody's uh, wondering, it's a great place in Middle Tennessee, and and uh, I'd love to play here or anywhere. So yeah, but, well, we'll 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 do that. Yeah. I'll make that happen. All right. Well, I, I appreciate it, and uh, I hope you guys got a a great. Uh, this was a great interview. It was fun. Uh, it was great to sit down and talk to one of a, a very respected and highly uh, uh, influential people in our industry. It was great. So. Thanks again for listening. Uh, be sure to go rate, share, subscribe, but you can find the podcast pretty much anywhere that podcasts are available. And until next time, I will talk to you soon. This is another episode of Making the Turn with B.J. Parker. Thanks. Thanks.